You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Maurice Colifer. Say his name, say his name. When Candyman's around, you don't make matter if I love you. Why'd you say his name? I'm Susie Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you wondering, this is episode 141, uh, Candyman from 2021. We are starting our new month. Of uh, it's remake round three. However, we are right off the bat. We're breaking our own rules. This is a requel, so it doesn't quite fit neatly into the little remake category. But requels are kind of the new remakes. We we keep seeing uh, franchises get the requel treatment versus the remake treatment these days. And this, I would argue, is one of the only truly successful ones. Um, I have my I like the Halloween one, but I have my problems with it. And uh, I really enjoyed what they did with this. So we figured, you know what? Screw it. It's our show. We're going to break our own damn rules and put Candyman on the list. And clearly the listeners uh, agreed because they voted this one in. So like I said, it's Candyman from 2021. It's an hour and 31 minutes uh, directed by Nia DaCosta. We would know her from Little Woods, Top Boy, and the upcoming The Marvels and The Lincoln Conspiracy. Um, Let's go around the table, see what everyone thinks about this movie. Susie, as you picked Candyman for your birthday pick last year, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? We've talked about this movie before. Not in depth, like for an exclusive episode, but I love this movie. They changed the mythology, yes. But I chalk that up to the whole, like, in the original, the oral tradition, oral folklore. Yep. I love how at the very beginning everything is backwards because oh, I know. this was my birthday movie last summer and I went with my brother to see it and I'm watching it at the beginning. And I'm like, Adam, I think that the projector is backwards. And he's like, no fucking think about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, bing, like light bulb goes off. Yep. I love the shadow puppets that they use to tell the stories, the folklore. I love the evolution, how Anthony just evolves. It's kind of like the fly. Yeah. And I think I might have said that when we discussed this previously, but he is this very strapping, like handsome young man. Mm -hmm. And then he goes and he takes these pictures and he gets a bee sting. And then it just, the, it just spreads throughout his body. And then he looks like honeycomb at the yeah. end. I love, I freaking love the makeup effects on him. It's so And I good. love how, I love how they, all the mythology that they talk about, Tony Todd, that character, mm-hmm. he was the original one. Yeah, he's at so the center. So the bees, the bees are always present. Yep. So Sherman in this movie is the candy man. And he legitimately, like, had a hook for a hand. Yep. But there were still the bees all around him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I just, I love this movie. I know a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of white people have a lot of problems with this movie. And we've talked about that. Yeah. But I think that, I think that art is meant to express and expose social problems. Oh, and absolutely. I think that, I think that this movie does a really good job of balancing, like, the storyline with the with the politics of it. Let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah, but, you know, I, I have to say, and, and I, I understand, because I remember when it came out, too, like, a lot of people were jumping on, uh, jumping on it, trying to find flaws, and especially trying to complain about, oh, it's too woke and all that bullshit. The mythology, the core story, going all the way back to Clive Barker's The Forbidden, it has these elements. It's it's baked into its DNA. You cannot remove that and still have this story. So it's necessary. It's that's what makes this story the Candyman. You right. know, and and I feel like the people that are bitching are just looking for something to bitch about versus actually paying attention to the story being told. And I I fucking love it. I mean, I I'm I'm just gonna jump the gun here and say I love it, but but continue. No, I love it. I love it. <clears throat> it even goes so far as when Anthony goes and visits his mother, which I think it's fantastic that it's the same actress. Oh yeah. She says someone broke the pact yep. because they vowed not to say his name again. Mm-hmm. To kind of capture him and keep him from spilling innocent blood again. But yeah. Anthony has this thing above him that it's just the whole like exposition, this movie, you, I, I just fucking loved it. Yeah. And I think that I don't want to gen, I'm not going to generalize, but in my experience, the white people who ha- do not like this movie <clears throat> mm-hmm. don't like the truth that it really puts in your face. Because if you think about it, when I, when we did the original candy ban, there was a lot of like in your face, white people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But in the early nineties, that was not like, Oh, what, what? Well, because it wasn't a conversation being had loudly in the nineties. It was a conversation that was happening. Right. Like when we were, when we were uh, preteens and teenagers, it was a conversation that was happening around us, but it wasn't very loud. It was, you know, there there was television shows about it. There were films about it, <clears throat> you know, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, as, as uh, I guess, ubiquitous in pop culture. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to, to you know, uh, 2018, 2019, it it started and, and very, uh, very much should be much louder and people started noticing all of the fucking reality uh, that this this has been happening. You know, like, this has been going on. It's never stopped. You know, but right. it became very prominent in pop culture. And people started taking notice. And some people did not fucking like it. And it's like, you're not meant to like what's happening. You know, but you need to hear it. You need to know it's happening so we can stop it from happening. And I think that when the scene that he has with the art critic... Mm-hmm. And he throws it back in her face. Yes. The poor people made the ghetto. The black people made the ghetto. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Oh, God, yeah. 
Because if you think about it, like socioeconomically, people who are marginalized are people of color. Mm -hmm. And that makes them inherently not not inherently, but being a person of color in a poor neighborhood that makes you a target. Like you are more likely to grow up in that. So there has to be some kind of social change. And I like that underlying theme that's in this movie. Oh, absolutely. So call me a woke bitch, whatever. (laughs) But I, I really loved it. I thought, I thought the acting was superb. I thought that the very end when we I'm not going to give it away, but the very end, mm-hmm. I thought encompassed everything that this movie was was trying to tell. Yeah. And I know that Jordan Peele, like he wasn't the director, but he had what is a writing credit was he yeah, a producer was, as well. He, yeah, he helped write the script. So Jordan Peele, he himself is a very polarizing director. Mm -hmm. and person like in Hollywood themselves. And I think I, I applaud him for making people feel uncomfortable and just like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's, it's necessary. And and that's the thing. I'm I'm glad you brought it up right off the bat. Like, let's not bury the lead here. It, it is very necessary to have, uh, to have this this topic of conversation when we're dealing with these types of themes, you know the the whole film deals heavily with racism and extremely heavily with gentrification, and if you know pe- people don't want to talk about that kind of shit, and this movie shines a spotlight on it, and it can, it, does, it doesn't let you shy away. Like the original film, there were moments of it, <clears throat> like there was uh, when when Helen gets attacked. And she mentions to I for, I'm forgetting her her friend's name, um, but her best friend Bernadette. Thank you. She mentions to Bernadette about how, you know, a, a white woman gets attacked in the ghetto, and it becomes like a media circus. Like basically, the police are there; they're looking, they're they're picking up suspects, but black people were murdered there left and right, and no one cared. You know, and like that that was even that, William even makes mention of Little Girl X. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I have that in my notes, but it's like that was uh, that was in the original film, but it wasn't a big part of the theme. Like they they talked about it, but the main theme was just how how racism and violence created this this horrifying loop. Um, <clears throat> but then this one, they deal a lot with the surrounding of Cabrini Green and they deal with a lot of the like I said, the gentrification of the area and how. You know, they they even say it in here, white people made the ghetto and then they destroyed the ghetto when they realized they made the ghetto. You know, they they displaced people from their homes. Like a lot of that is throughout this entire film. So whereas the original that statement is really powerful. Just oh, that single dialogue. Oh, 100 percent. But it's like that's the like I said, the original, it shines a light on it, but it doesn't hold the light on it. This movie forces you to look at it. And I think that that's that's part of why it's so damn good. But we, we kind of went off on a tangent here. Maurice, what do you think about this? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> everything you guys just said, I agree with. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should uh, we should tell the listeners uh, poor Maurice here is soldiering on through. He's he's quite sick. 
Um, so, but we, we appreciate that you're here with us, buddy. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, no, I, I love this movie and, uh, you know, you guys pretty much just said it all for real. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I love the, the statement that it makes, uh, it, it, you know, upset a few people, but you know, what but, movies don't these days? Yeah, exactly. Um, good, good art should upset a few people. Yeah. Well, if you're Maurice, <laughs> you're canceled. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it'll be the first time. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, no, the statement they make and with everything that's going on, you know, I, I, I like it. it uh, going to the actors, the actors are great. Uh, the story was good and like you said it's i mean it's not it's not a remake but you know all around good movie uh i don't own the movie yet but i plan to eventually add Mm -hmm. to the collection but uh i recommend it to anyone that is a fan i guess my only uh complaint would be uh tony todd wasn't in it too much but yeah I think that his, when he was in it, because he is the original Candyman, Mm -hmm. I thought that was fitting. Because the whole time that I was watching it, I was like, where's Tony Todd? That's not Tony Todd. That's that's not Daniel Robitaille. Right. But I think that taking the whole, like, altering the the mythos, Mm -hmm. of the story and the whole fact that at the very end there's all the bees right i think that the bees are like transforming anthony into all the previous candy mans yeah candy men (laughs) the candy men gang the candy bands can (laughs) and then we end it with tony todd right So I, for me, that was satisfying because he was the original one. I just, I think I I agree with Maurice in in a way, because I would have liked to, to a little bit more, like maybe have a scene where we hear uh, Daniel Robitaille talking to Anthony or something like where we just, just get a little more Tony Todd in there. Like, cause he's just got such an iconic voice and man, he, he, he crushed this character. Like he made this character. I would have liked to hear a little bit more as him, you know? Not that I have any problem with what they did with the the changing of the, the Candyman mythos and creating the new Candymen, as it were. Um, I really like that. That's actually where I would argue that this is a very successful requel um, because the, 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 the core mythology changes are good ones. But yeah, I missed I did miss Tony Todd. <laughs> but if you think about it at the very end when he is the Candyman. Yeah, it's really a good segue back into Tony Todd. Oh, yeah. Just like the his voice itself. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry. I think that I think that was his voice at the end. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Tony Todd at the end. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm talking about like when they're at the cop car. Yeah, it (laughs) it starts off as Anthony talking. Um. And like the bees are swarming around him and then he disappears. And then the next thing he speaks when, when she sees him around the gate, it's in Tony Todd's voice. 
So like at the car, it's still uh, it's still Anthony. And then by the gate, it's it's now uh, Daniel. But then there's me who's like this woman is handcuffed Mm -hmm. and she is a person of color. And now she's free. Her DNA is all over the back of that cop car. Well, I mean, that's the thing. They, the cops pull up at the end. So, you know, we know nothing good came of that. <laughs> so, but I'm sorry, Maurice, were, were you, no, were it, you done with I'm your sorry. thoughts? On? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> my point say- is, my point is, so they, they come in, they shoot him on mm-hmm. site. Her DNA, they handcuff her, put her in yep. the back of the cop car. That cop is an asshole. And oh, then yeah. she, as we'll find out, gets out of the cop car. But her DNA is all the fuck over the cop car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, like I said, it's not going to end well for her. <laughs> so, and, and I, I or, think they, or they Or will they that. explain it away in the <coughs> next movie, if there is one, which I, I hope there will be. I think they were leaving it up to viewer interpretation, honestly, because the the way that ends with the swarm descending once again, um, I I think they were being like, does the cycle continue? What do you think? You were know. they cleaner bees? <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Uh, I, I think the swarm descended. I think we'll get back to it when we eventually get back to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that she is the next person to tell the tale. Yeah. And well, yeah. I think that Anthony's mother is not done yet. I mean, I do hope we get another one. Uh, like, all of this this uh, preamble to the movie, that's really it. Like, I would love to see more in this story, which is why, with, with a requel, I have a problem in general with requels because I feel it's kind of insulting to the the creators that came before. So what I mean by that is, you know these other creators created other steps to the story, other parts to the story, and they had their stamp on it. And then along comes a new writing team and a new director. And they say, fuck all that. Fuck what they created. I have the true sequel. And it it does come off a little insulting. Now that's not to say that there can't be good films told in requels. And, and, you know, we've talked about the Halloween remake. Um, Of course, the naming convention will always drive me crazy. And I will mention it every fucking time. I hate it. When a sequel to a movie is named the same damn thing. This is Candyman, the sequel to Candyman, and that bugs the shit out of me. But it is what it is. Uh, same thing with Halloween, you know, sequel to Halloween. Um, but some of the core changes in the Halloween remake felt unnecessary. Like the fact that, you know, Laurie is no longer related to Michael. Like, it, it, okay, like it just felt unnecessary. It just felt like someone was like, ah, that's dumb. Let's take it away. And it doesn't really impact the movie, but it impacts the mythology. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's still a good movie. I still dig it. I liked Halloween Kills for what it was. Like, you know, yeah, we we laugh about the whole evil dies tonight because it got a little ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Reels <laughs> in general, I don't think, are a great way to go about it. I like legacy sequels, the way Scream did it, where Scream yeah. didn't take away any of the core mythology. They were just kind of starting at another point, basically saying like, okay, we're starting over, but all of the shit you saw already happened. That all did still happen. It still counts. So we're moving the story forward in a new direction, but everything that came before happened. Um, 
unlike both times we got recalls in the Texas Chainsaw franchise, <laughs> where it was like, ah, forget all that other shit. Now we're doing this stuff. And, you know, the most recent Texas Chainsaw one doesn't even make sense to the original film that it's sequelizing. <laughs> so it's it, and not to say that it's not entertaining, because like we said on that on that Patreon special, I was entertained as hell. I know it was dumb, but I was still entertained. I was not. <laughs> But like, I feel this particular recall, this is why I wanted to put it on the on the block for remakes, because I feel that it is successful in what in the mythology changes. Now, as much as I enjoy Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead, um, I understand why they just wanted to focus on creating a new version of the Candyman so they could do more to the franchise. Because if we picked up with Day of the Dead, I mean, granted, we technically could. Um, but that, I want to say that took place in 2020. I think the movie takes place in 2020, which was the same year that this was supposed to come out. <laughs> um, it didn't come out until 2021 because of COVID, but it was supposed to come out in 2020. Yeah, but when we see it, it's Cabrini Green 2019. Right. That That is true. But I, I thought that the, the credits said that it was something supposed to, or the trivia said something about it was supposed to come out in 2020. But anyway... Um, the the third Candyman movie does take place in 2020, so it takes place in the future, even though it came out in 1999. Um, and it it does wipe away those those movies, and it plays down the importance of the Daniel Robitaille character. Uh, you know, he obviously is the first Candyman, but it does like his whole lineage is no longer part of the films. Like that was a big deal with the sequels. So I feel like. While it does bother me in general that we take away parts of the story, I enjoy where they made the changes here. So, but anyway, let's get into the cast. So right off the bat, we have Anthony McCoy played by, I hope I'm going to say his name right. Uh, It's Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He was in uh, The Greatest Showman, The Handmaid's Tale, Aquaman, uh, Us, Black Mirror, Watchmen, and The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, Then we have Brianna Cartwright, played by Tayona Paris. She was in Dear White People, CSI, Mad Men, Empire, and WandaVision. Uh, Troy Cartwright, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett. He was in Misfits, Utopia, Prey, Generation, and Doctor Who. Uh, William Burke, played by Coleman Domingo. He's in Law & Order, Lincoln, Birth of a Nation, Lucifer, Bojack Horseman, Euphoria, and Fear the Walking Dead. I fucking love this guy. He is such a good actor. (laughs) And his character of Burke is just... He's so good in this. Um, Then we have uh, Grady Greenberg, played by Kyle Kaminsky. He was in NCIS and Driver X. Then Anne-Marie McCoy, Vanessa Williams. She was in the original Candyman. Uh, Law and Order, New Jack City, The Cosby Show, Melrose Place, Living Single, Chicago Hope, and The Flash. Not to be confused with the Miss America slash singer. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, then we have Sherman Fields, played by Michael Hargrove. He was in Chicago Fire, The Express, and Chicago PD. And then finally, Daniel Robitaille, played by Tony Todd. Really, we don't need to go through his credits, but some obviously uh, you know, important ones for the Candyman films, Night of the Living Dead 1990, which we covered, the Hatchet films, and uh, Murder, She Wrote, because we have to have our little connection there. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, as we've mentioned multiple times, the basic pl- premise for this film, the basic plot is we are sequelizing the original Candyman. We are returning to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. So the Cabrini Green that we knew of in the original movie has been completely gentrified. All the 
the the high rise apartment buildings have been torn down and replaced. Um, and there's like a small section that is is basically left of Cabrini, which is a bunch of like apartment buildings and the church that we saw in the original. All of that is now abandoned and kind of painted over and sectioned off. So it it deals with the ever changing landscape of the ghetto, and it's it's quite interesting how they play with that in the story. But uh, right off the bat, uh, we get Sammy Davis Jr. singing Candyman. And I love this. The sound starts to distort and we hear bees buzzing. And then, as you mentioned, Susie, we get the backwards credits like we're looking in a mirror. It's oh, just fucking chef's kiss. It's so good. <laughs> I love that opening. Uh, but we open on Cabrini Green in 1977, where we meet young William Burke playing with his paper puppets, uh, which will kind of be a running theme throughout this movie. A lot of important stories are told honestly beautifully with these shadow puppets i love this art style um we see i i even watch the end credits (coughs) all the Mm -hmm. way to the end i would argue the end credits is is one of the most important parts of the film because it shows you the creation of the other candy men yes and it's it's oh god it's i mean it brings a tear to my eye like it's so depressing But it's so beautifully done. Like the the artwork and the imagery with the music is so well done. But it's so fucking sad. You know? Oh, I love it. But this this uh, look, this artistry throughout the entire film is just top notch. Like, I want, I want to see more of this. Like, I would love to go to a gallery show of nothing but this type of work. It's so beautiful. But um, William's mom tells him to go do the laundry. So he gathers up his clothes and heads to the laundry room. While he's on his way, we see a bunch of cops asking the residents about a particular man. This is Sherman Fields they're looking for. Now, their presence is almost boogeyman-like because it's like everyone looks like, you know, nervous to be around him. They're just ever-present kind of lurking around Cabrini. It's, I mean, obviously it's very, it's very purposefully done that way, but the, the imagery is definitely not lost. So he goes to do the laundry, and we see this massive hole in the wall of the laundry room, which is just fucking creepy. <laughs> like, there's this huge hole in the wall. And, uh, you know, it obviously spooks William, but he goes in and starts doing the laundry. Suddenly, a piece of candy comes flying out of the hole and bounces on the floor. He picks it up, and in the reflection of the glass of the laundry room, he sees someone watching him from the hole. Now, I love this, how the first image we see of Sherman is a reflection. And from like other than like this this one particular scene with Sherman every other time we see him is in a reflection like that uh again the the art direction of this film is so well done so he turns to see a man with a hook for a hand and a long coat coming out of the wall humming and offering him candy pan out to the cops we hear William scream and they spring into action now we cut to the opening credits and the title card and Again, the opening credits, it's the city upside down. It's like a reflection of the high rises. And that's so beautifully done. Oh, it is. It's 100%. But uh, we pan in on Troy and Grady making their way to Troy's sister's place, Brianna. Uh, Cabrini Green 2019, as you said. At the apartment, we meet Troy's sister, Brianna, and her boyfriend, Anthony. We find out he's an artist and she is an art dealer. Uh, Troy is a realtor who's salty that they're living or salty about where they're living and that he did not use, they did not use him to find them their new place. (laughs) Um, this whole sequence, it's very clear that Troy isn't too fond of Anthony 
And Anthony has been struggling for a while to make some new work, so he clearly has an artist block. Uh, Troy goes on to talk about how the neighborhood is haunted and he doesn't want them living there. And they're like, oh, that's bullshit. And he goes, it went from Smoky Hollow to then Little Hell. And he goes, and what's it called now? And Anthony says Cabrini Green. So we get a little backstory here about the gentrification of the area. They tell us how it started off as affordable housing, then was torn down and rebuilt. And this is where Brianna says the line that white people built the ghetto and then tore it down when they realized they built the ghetto. Um, Troy goes on to tell them a scary story, and we get a different version of the Helen Lyle story. And this is all told in those shadow puppets. And this is very important because the first movie relied on the oral tradition Mm -hmm. and how things change from generation to generation. And here we have it because it's it's not really the same thing that we saw in the first movie. Yeah. And it's but but again, it's it's that whole game of telephone. When you tell a story over and over, it changes over time. So this version of the Helen Lyle story is basically she was a grad student doing a piece on local legends of Cabrini, uh, but she snapped. She beheaded a Rottweiler. And I love this. They're like, she did snow angels in its blood. <laughs> and they just show the shadow <laughs> puppet doing snow angels. That's awesome. <laughs> it really was. But he tells them how she was arrested and escaped immediately and went on a killing spree, making her way back to Cabrini, where she stole a baby. She brought him to the annual bonfire where she planned to sacrifice the child. The residents of Cabrini stopped her and saved the child, but couldn't stop Helen from rushing into the bonfire and killing herself. So this is a very different tale than what happened. And we'll we'll get to that a little later. Um, So, of course, Anthony and Brianna think it's total bullshit. Troy tells him to look it up. It's all over the Internet. It's true. So. Yeah, they Troy and Grady leave. And later that night, we see Anthony looking up the history of Helen Lyle. And he's pretty shocked. He's like, oh, I guess she did behead a Rottweiler. <laughs> and I love it because Brianna's like, uh, I don't want I don't want to hear about that. She goes, are you excited about the, the upcoming gallery show? And uh, he tells her that, you know, he is, but he's still a little nervous about his work. And um, he goes on more about Helen. She's like, I don't want to get creeped out in my new apartment. He goes, oh, don't worry, it's ghost proof. It was on the Zillow listing. That did crack me up. <laughs> but um, we cut to the next day where we see Anthony talking to Clive Privler, the guy who's running the upcoming gallery show. He's a bit nervous that Anthony hasn't shown him any of his work yet. And <laughs> this is something I'm like, okay, I hate that I can relate to Clive on anything because he's such a dick. But trying to do a gallery show and trying to get everyone on the same page is so fucking difficult. <laughs> and I cannot tell you the amount of times we've been setting up for a blammo. And there's always like one or two people who haven't told me what they're going to do yet. And I have the gallery being like, so what are the pieces? And I'm like, uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> so he's but, a real fucking bitch. Oh, he is. And I'm sure that, that well, first of all is, Clive, you know, obviously is an homage to Clive Barker, but I'm sure the name Privler was not any uh, coincidence that it sounds a lot like privilege and he's an extremely privileged asshole. So, (laughs) but uh, Clive goes on about how he wants, he wants the new Anthony, the great Chicago black hope of the future. 
And Anthony tells him he's thinking about doing some work from where he's from, about how white supremacy create these spaces of rampant neglect for communities of color. And Clive comments, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, like where you were born. And Anthony goes, yeah, Bronzeville. To which Clive responds, eh, the South Side is kind of played. So Anthony mentions Cabrini Green. Now, <laughs> the fact that Clive is completely missing the point of what Anthony's trying to tell him is, is it's so palpable here. <laughs> like, he's just like, it's it, ugh, the hints that Anthony's dropping about what he wants to do. Clive's just like, meh, has no clue. <clears throat> So we see, uh, we, you know, little time has passed. Brianna leaves with Clive and reminds Anthony that they're supposed to meet at his mom's at seven. So Anthony goes off to work. We see him on his computer researching Cabrini and Helen Lyle and the bonfire. He heads down to old Cabrini and takes photos. While he's there, a bee stings him on his hand. He smacks it. It falls to the ground where it's swarmed by ants. And again, a lot of this movie, we see swarm imagery. So whether it be swarms of bees, swarms of people, swarms of ants, like it's just this idea of a group taking something down. I know so those, whole, those ants moved in fast. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that bee was still trying. He was trying to get up. But but yeah, it's the whole mob mentality. And again, that's that I think is terrifying. So continuing to look around, he investigates some old abandoned apartments where he finds tons of graffiti, including a painting of Candyman. And I love this painting because it's very similar to the art from the forbidden from the original short story. Like the way the painting is drawn, it's very much like Clive Barker's uh, pen and pen and ink black and white piece. Um, eventually he meets William Burke, the laundromat owner. And uh, the uh, basically the man that we, uh, we saw as a young boy in the beginning of the flick. So some cops drive by and William tells Anthony, they'd almost never come back or come around here back in the day, unless it was to take someone in. But that was a long time ago. Now they can't seem to stay away. At night, they post up where the last of us still live, a police car on either side of the block, keeping us safe or keeping us in. I was like, oof, that's, yeah, that's powerful. Right. So uh, Anthony and William go to, to William's laundromat, where Anthony asks some questions about Cabrini, particularly the Helen Lyle story. Um, William, this is where William says here, he goes, ask the white people around here about Girl X and Trell Davis, blank stares. One woman, one white woman dies in the hood and the story lives on forever. And, you know, Anthony tells him and goes, well, it's an interesting story. He goes, what do you think could have made her snap like that? And William tells him, uh, he, Helen came, came looking around for Candyman and I think she found him. And this is where Anthony goes, what's Candyman? And we get the backstory of Sherman Fields. So we find out he was one of the residents of Cabrini Green, you know, had a hook for a hand and used to give out sweets to the kids. One day, a razor blade showed up sweets in a little... Sweets to the sweet. Exactly. Sweets to the sweet. This time, not spackled and shit, though. <laughs> Thank God. That scene in the first movie, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was it was just so crusty. Oh, God. So gross. But, um, yeah, he goes on to say that uh, a razor blade showed up in a little white girl's Halloween candy, and the cops came looking for Sherman, but he was gone. He goes on to tell him about the day... Uh, the day he saw Sherman for himself and we see more of what happened from the beginning of the film. And this it's, oh, it's so well done. So we see Sherman come out of the wall with a handful of candy. He offers some to William. William screams and we see Sherman's face drop. He looks terrified. Cut to the cops hearing William screams there. They come running in. William takes the piece of candy and goes to leave. And we see the door to the laundry room. Like it's a, it's a door with a window in it. 
And it's like you're playing, it's almost a slasher scene. We're playing the like ominous music slowly zooming in on the window and then a cop's head appears in the mirror or appears in the window and they open the door and rush in. It's very much like a like a Jason moment. So the cops come in, they swarm Sherman and he tells uh, William tells Anthony um, that they killed him on the spot. You know, they basically didn't ask any questions. They just swarmed, <laughs> swarmed Sherman and murdered him. Um, he goes, what shows up a couple weeks later? More razor blades and more candy. That's when we knew Sherman was innocent, harmless. But that wasn't the last we saw of him. So we cut to Anthony painting for the rest of the day. That night, Brianna comes home. Anthony's all excited. He wants to show her his work. We find out that he forgot to visit her. her forgive, uh, he forgot the visit with his mother. And uh, Brianna says that she blames him or blames her for Anthony not coming over there, saying that she was that Brianna gives him money so she won't go visit or he won't go visit. <laughs> so there's definitely a bit of a strained relationship between Anthony and his mother. So he shows her his new work. <clears throat> he tells her the story of Sherman and the Candyman. She doesn't seem impressed, commenting, commenting that it leaves no room for viewer interpretation, going from symbolism, the symbolism of violence to the actual depiction of it. Uh, he asks her, how is it hitting you, though? And she tells him it's painful. He goes on to tell her how connected with this he feels like it's, it's what he's supposed to be doing. So this is the first hint that we get, you know, Anthony's connection to the Candyman. Um, Brianna is clearly excited for him, even if this isn't her cup of tea. And he goes on to tell her about the legend and suggests that if you say his name five times in the mirror, he'll come and kill you. <laughs> and she says, you play too much. Yeah. Well, he's like, I thought we could do it. She's like, you what? <laughs> you play too much. He starts calling and she's like, you better not. He's like, quietly, Candyman. He like, keeps saying it. And she's like, you better shut up. And then, that, yeah, he finally says it that last time, you know, and she jumps on him. But, uh, we now cut, this, this part annoyed the fuck out of me. We cut to the gallery show where Anthony has to deal with a bunch of pretentious twat waffles. I'm like, I hate everybody in this sequence. Yes. Oh my God. They're so fucking awful. Oh. Especially the art critic. Yes. Oh, she's. She she's gets terrible. her comeuppance. She does, but she's really fucking annoying. So like. Anthony's piece is basically a mirror. It's it's called Say My Name. And it's it's a mirror. Uh it has say the whole say my name, say my name. <laughs> Candyman's around you. Don't matter if I love you. Why'd you say his name? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's on the um you know, on the uh the brochure for the for the gallery, it talks about you know uh what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to say candy man candyman's name five times. He's basically daring you to call the Candyman. Um, behind the mirror, like in the original, how they op they came in through the medicine cabinet. You pull the medicine cabinet open and you see Anthony's paintings kind of hidden in the wall like and depicting the violence of what happened to Sherman. So I thought it was a really cool, you know, installation. But of course, everyone else either doesn't get it or doesn't care. And the art critic that you mentioned, uh, Finley, She's rolling her eyes, talking about how cliched and boring it is. Basically, that uh, it's all about the violence of the gentrification cycle, and that's played out. She even makes a you people comment, but twists it about artists. Yeah. I was like, <clears throat> damn. Well, she saw the way he looked at her. <laughs> yeah, because he goes, excuse me? She says, uh, you know, artists descend upon disenfranchised neighborhoods, 
taking up the cheap rent so they can dick around in their studios without the crushing burden of a day job. I was like, ouch. So after dealing with that, Anthony has several drinks. Um, we see Troy and Grady looking in the mirror and Grady mentions, should I summon Candyman? And I, I love Troy's reaction. He goes, black people don't need to be summoning shit. This ain't the bayou. The, Chicago, that's some white people shit. <laughs> I laughed so, at that. Oh, yeah. Because he's just immediately like, nope. And then Grady starts saying it. He's like, you better not. <laughs> like, he looks at him like he was going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> but uh, so Anthony has to deal with some more insults slung his way by Clive and company. Uh, but I, I love I love Anthony's response to Clive. He goes, shouldn't you be somewhere stocking up on morning after pills to accommodate your summer intern program? And Clive goes, that's not that's not spontaneous. He had that one. You had that in the bank. And he goes, yeah, I did, bitch. I was laughing so fucking Mike hard. Mike drop. Because <laughs> right? even though he stumbled out of there so drunk, he was like, mm-hmm. Mike drop. Yep. So Anthony Buran. Yep. Re- oh, God. What, what did the girl say? She said something about the ring. She went. Oh, <laughs> so that what's that pregnancy ring? She um, goes, don't worry, I'm on the Duver ring. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it <just> stops away. <laughs> oh, man. So Anthony and Brianna leave and head home. Uh, back at the gallery after the show is over, we see Clive and Jerrica locking up and cleaning up uh, while Clive is just bitching about Anthony. And stupidly, they decide to summon Candyman in Anthony's mirror while messing around. And at first, Clive goes, don't do it. He goes, I don't want you to die tonight, at least not until we <laughs> fuck. And then he goes, I changed my mind. Do it. Necrophilia has always been on my bucket list. I'm like, Clive sucks. <laughs> He's awful. Yeah. Well, he may have a chance coming up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So while they're they're summoning Candyman, we cut back to Anthony in his apartment and we see him drawing his own eyes while looking in the mirror. We see a bee bumping into the mirror, and Anthony goes to touch it with his finger, and we see the me- the beer the beer, yeah, the bee is on the other side of the mirror. And visually, I love the way they do this because we see him tapping on the mirror and we focus in on the bee, and it's his his face kind of goes into a soft focus behind, and we see his eyes completely white out. So he almost looks like a ghost. It's really cool. But back in the gallery, Jerrica gets her throat slashed by an invisible force. <laughs> Clive starts freaking out, going, is this real? Is this real? <laughs> I was laughing at his response. But we see Candyman in the shadows. Uh, we can only see him in the reflections and in the shadows of the projector, projections. So we see him tearing open one of the projection screens and kind of disappearing. Clive runs for the door, but they're locked. In the reflection, we see Candyman hook Clive's Achilles tendon and pull him back into the gallery and kill him. Also, when he first hits the floor and his face just bashes into it and breaks his nose, that's fucking painful as hell. Like, ouch. Um, So we cut to the next morning. We see Anthony painting uh, furiously. Like, he's just in a trance painting furiously. Uh, Brianna is arriving at the gallery. Now we cut back and forth to Anthony painting like a man possessed. We see the bee sting on his hand, making his flesh almost look necrotic. Uh, Brianna opens the gallery and finds the carnage left behind by Candyman. So now we smash cut to the news talking about the murders where Anthony, Brianna and Troy are watching. The news mentions Anthony and his piece say my name. And he gets excited that he was mentioned. The others look a little less than impressed. He's like, well, because he said because he said his name. (laughs) He goes, he goes, say my name. And, And they said my name. 
because they said the piece. And he looks over smiling and they're like, what? <laughs> but that night we see Brianna and dreaming about finding the bodies in the gallery juxtaposed with a scene of her father committing suicide in front of her as a child. Uh, he's also an artist. This scene is disturbing because he's sitting on the window ledge and she walks in as a kid and he looks at her and goes, hey, I bet you didn't know your daddy could fly. He goes, well, I can. And then he throws himself out the window. This like, is one of my big problems with this movie is that we have this subplot and it really never gets resolved. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's, But I mean, I, I guess it's just showing like the fact that Brianna uh, has had these types of tragedies happen to her over and over again. You know, like people, people that are important in her life keep dying. Right. But then later, her brother says, we have to clean out the trailer or the story. I mean, it just it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. That's the Brianna subplot is the only thing that doesn't do it for me. See, the the thing where I I see I'm okay with it for one reason, because everything in this film is cyclical and so the, the Candyman story is cyclical. The gentrification cycle is cyclical. They talk about that over and over again. And with Brianna, like the tragedies in her life are cyclical. So it's like as a child, you know, she looked up to her father who was an artist. He went crazy and killed himself like his his art killed him. And then now as a, a very successful adult, she's in this relationship with an artist who becomes obsessed with his art and his art eventually kills him. So it's this like this repeating cycle. So it's like, I, I dig it. I, I wish there was a little more okay. to it, but I dig it. It's like she's, All right, you know, I respect she's, that. it's like she's dating her father. Right. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, and, and they say that, you, you know, you, you go after people who are similar to your parents, which is kind of weird. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Brianna wakes up and she sees the candy man uh, in, in the shadows. And then she sees Anthony moaning like a zombie and she wakes up again, and it's like, oh, we got the old dream within a dream, you tricksy bastards. <laughs> but she sees Anthony standing in the bathroom with the water running, almost like he's in a trance. She goes to see him. He tells her he had a bad dream. She asks what it was about. He doesn't answer and just forces her out of the room and closes the door. So now we cut to Anthony at the college library the next day, getting some material about Helen Lyle, including the tape recorder from the original film. I love how smitten the librarian is with him. She's just like fumbling all over herself. <laughs> but uh, so Anthony heads to the elevator, listening to Helen's tapes all about the Candyman and the horrors that happened in Cabrini. Uh, she mentions being followed by someone lurking in your own reflection. And as the elevator doors close, we see Anthony is left in a mirrored box. So like there's mirrors all around the, the elevator. The lights flicker, the elevator stalls and a piece of candy hits the floor. Anthony picks this it up. This scene terrifies me. Oh, it's so well done. I love the way they do this scene, too. Because, like, he picks up the razor or the candy and there's a, he cuts himself on a razor blade in it. And he sees the blood from his hand drips to the floor. And as it hits the floor, a blood drop hits the top of his hand. So, again, that cycle, the cyclical nature of it. Like, blood <laughs> falls to the bottom and comes back around to the top. Anthony yep. looks up and we see Sherman standing above him in the mirror, looking down at him with a, bluttered, a bloody, beaten, bruised face. 
It's just it's fucking terrifying, but so well done. Oh, I loved it. So he, of course, Anthony panics and drops to the floor right as the lights go out again. And we hear the raspy breathing of Sherman and grass, uh, glass cracking in the darkness. So the lights come back on. Anthony is alone in the elevator and the door is open. A bunch of students stand there on the other side staring at him. <laughs> Anthony quickly gathers his things and gets the fuck out of there. Back at the studio, we see Anthony painting. His hand is even worse now. He continues to listen to Helen's tapes. This time she's telling the story of Ruthie Jean. Um, I like how during this scene, like the, we don't see any like direct view of Anthony. Everything is kind of off kilter. It's like he's painting very manically and we're looking at him either like from like directly underneath. So we're looking straight up at him. We're looking at him in a reflection. We're looking at him from above. There's never just a like a straight on view of Anthony. Everything is very skewed and, and distorted. So <clears throat> Anthony gets a phone call and then he goes and tells Brianna that he's going out. She reminds him that they have a very important dinner tonight, that some art dealers and gallery owners are coming and she asks him not to fuck it up for her. So he you know, promises that he won't. She says, don't fuck it up. And he goes, I won't. And she says, don't fuck it up for me. Yeah. And then uh, we cut to Anthony arriving at Finley Stevens apartment, the art critic from the show who had no interest in his stuff. Now that a murder took place in front of his art, she's really interested. Like, fucking gross people. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, Anthony is less than impressed with her change in attitude on his work. But he plays along, and he tells her that he's expanding the work into a series to spread the word of Candyman. He then dares her to say his name. You know, she's like, she kind of laughs about it, like, oh yeah, okay. And she excuses herself to go to the bathroom, and he's like, now's a good time as any. <laughs> so... <laughs> but while, while in there She looks at herself in the mirror and smirks Almost like she's going to say it But we cut away to Brianna on the subway On our way to dinner So I like that we don't actually see Finley say it But we get the hint that she's gonna Yeah the, the Because the delivery mm -hmm. Is awesome Oh god yeah So back in the apartment Anthony's waiting for Finley to return And begins picking at the bee sting which causes it to bleed. He then wraps his hand with some napkins and goes to look for Finley. You he... say bee sting. I call it necrotic flesh. <laughs> exactly. His arm is like, he's got a leper arm at this point. <laughs> like, Pretty much. Like, it's... I don't even think Jesus would be <laughs> like, all right, bro. He'd be like, you know what? I ain't touching that. You on your own. <laughs> but um, he goes to look for Finley and he turns to see a mirror where he sees uh, in the reflection Sherman battered and bloody. But when Anthony goes to shield his face from Sherman, Sherman does the same. So Sherman is his reflection. And everything Anthony does, Sherman does in the mirror. And we see bees on the other side of the mirror, like tapping into the glass again. Very interesting scene the way they did that. Um, because Sherman looks terrified. Like Sherman looks as scared as Anthony does. <clears throat> And then Finley comes out of the bathroom behind him, asks if he's all right. He freaks out and tells her, I got to go. Now we pan, and I love this. This is so good. We pan slowly out the window. So we're looking at the apartment building as a whole. We see Anthony leave. We see Finley standing in her living room, all in silence. Suddenly an invisible force picks her up and slams her repeatedly into the window. We see blood come out of her mouth and Finley dies. This is one of the greatest kills of all time. 
it's so well done. Like that's it. Honestly, pretty much all of the kills in this movie are really well done and they don't show you a ton. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the, the killing is implied or it's pulled back. It's like soft focus. You know, it's, I can't say enough good about this film, but we cut to Anthony at dinner looking very much not okay. Brianna talks shop with two other art dealers and suddenly Jameson, the one of the douchebags from the original gallery, uh, picks up his phone and pipes up telling the group that Finley Stevens was found dead in her apartment. They all begin looking up info as Anthony looks distraught. He tells him he has to go and just takes off. Cut to Anthony arriving at William Burke's laundromat. The two discuss Candyman. Now, this is where we get the biggest change to the mythology. William tells Anthony how Candyman isn't one person, but rather a whole damn hive. There's been many of them. And he tells them, he says, Samuel Evans, run down during the white housing riots of the 50s. William Bell, lynched in the 20s. But the first one, where it all began, was in the 1890s. It's the story Helen found, the story of Daniel Robitaille. Now, we get the, the Candyman backstory told with shadow puppets again. And it's, but it's the story we know. So it's a story of Helen. It's a story of uh, that, that Helen found in the first movie where, you know, Daniel is a respected artist. You know, he's a painter uh, painting for very rich families, doing their portraits. And, um, you know, eventually is hired to paint a, 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 the daughter of a very wealthy man. The two fall in love. They, you know, have. Yeah, I remember, <clears throat> don't forget rich white people. Right. Very, yes, very rich white people. <clears throat> And um, this is in the the 1890s. Um, so Daniel and this this guy's daughter fall in love. They have sex. She gets pregnant. She tells her father. He hires men to hunt Daniel down. And then we get the story about how they chased him through the town, tortured him, cut off his hand, smeared him with honey, let the bees have him, and then burned him. Um, it's it's depressing. <clears throat> it's definitely depressing. There there's <clears throat> there's a line here that uh william says that just he says they love they love what we make but not us i was like i was just i was just about to say something about that line yeah it's so brutal like and i and i mean there's a lot of truth to that like that's (laughs) at the core of a lot of these fucking racists yeah but even today it's still even you know not just uh african-americans but oh yeah asians and you know indians Yep. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, it's like with, with uh, like get out and us, like when those movies came out, you had a lot of people saying, Oh, they're good. I just wish they weren't so preachy. And it's like, so you, you like the movie, but you don't like the message. Like, right. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's sad that this shit is still going on, but again, <laughs> this movie does a really good job of shining a spotlight on it. And but, then we come back to the dumb high school bitch. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Hold on. Because there's there's a very important thing here. Because uh, uh, William says, a story like that, a pain like that, lasts forever. That's Candyman. And then he goes, so he's, Anthony says, so he's real. And he goes, Bell is real. Samuel, Sherman, Daniel Robin, all real. Candyman is how we deal with the fact that these things happen, that they're still happening. I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, that will again Coleman Domingo is such a fucking good actor but this role like you can see like the manic fury and like the depression and the sadness like everything is all wrapped up in that delivery he's just he's so good like I, I really really liked his, his role in this 
but he tells Anthony to go home and get some rest. Um, and we, cause yeah, we, we got a whole part before the high school thing. <clears throat> we, we cut to the apartment. Uh, Brianna is looking at a series, uh, is looking at the series that Anthony was making. He comes in and yells at her not to look at them, scaring oh, the hell out of right. her. Oh, that's right. Uh, she, she asks, you know, what's going on? He tries to tell her, he tells her about Burke and about what he's been told. And he goes, I'm afraid. She goes, afraid of what? And he says, I'm afraid I brought him back. And then he tells her about Candyman and she doesn't believe him. She's like, he's not real. It's like, I'll prove it to you. And she goes to say his name in the mirror. Anthony flips out and starts breaking all the mirrors. She gets terrified and she's like, she tells him that she's leaving and not to follow her. So we cut to Brianna on Troy's couch as he's bitching about Anthony. And I love it because he's just going off about how I wish a motherfucker would. (laughs) Like he's, he wants to beat Anthony. And then he goes, ain't no dick on the planet good enough to offset a demonology hobby. (laughs) 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 I love it because Grady just looks at him and goes, true. (laughs) But Troy then shifts the conversation to how uh, he talked to their mother and they, uh, they have to decide what to do with their father's work. Brianna wants none of it in her home. Troy suggests selling it or doing a show. And she goes, I'm not doing a show of what killed him. So Troy tells her, you don't have to be there every time an artist has a psychotic break. That's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that kind of hits hard. But he apologizes to her and tells her, you can stay as long as you want under one condition, that you don't try to summon Candyman. Brianna <laughs> looks at him and goes, who would do that? Smash cut to a bunch of white girls in a high school bathroom summoning Candyman. <laughs> I fucking I love that cut. That's why I was like, it's that that cut is so good because she's like, Who it the really fuck is. Would do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Now this entire scene is literally just fodder to up the body count and to have you know another interesting kill scene. Um. But we have we have several white several white girls and an Asian girl standing in a bathroom, gonna summon the Candyman. So they start to do it. They get like what I think it was like two Candymans in, and then uh, the one girl comes in the bathroom. The the young black girl comes to the bathroom, and they all stop and look at her, and she goes goes into the stall. And the Asian girl's like, "Screw it, I'm out," and she leaves. So it's like so basically just the white girls are the dummies in this. <laughs> <laughs> but they finish saying his name uh, then they go to leave they're all fucking with the girl in the stall like kicking the door and all that they can't get out so the, the door is locked and one by one they start getting attacked and now Trina Trina thank you I couldn't remember her name Trina sees the, the one girl drops a compact <clears throat> and she sees in the mirror one by one as these girls are being slaughtered and it's it's again all the murder is in the mirror like, you don't actually get to see, you know, uh, direct shots of all the violence. So now we cut to Anthony waking up on the floor of his studio amidst the shards of glass, which one is stuck in his hand, which, ugh, it's fine. His, his arm, like, he's, so much nastiness happens with his arm in this movie. <laughs> but he pulls the shard of glass out. He looks down at his arm, and it's all fucking necrotic looking. Like, the whole fucking thing. And one of his nails even comes off. Like, it's just, ugh. It's a whole disgusting thing. This is so David Cronenberg. Yes, it's very body horror. He's becoming he, a brundle fly. He is. He's a McCoy fly. But <laughs> uh, we cut to Brianna at the, at a museum, at, at the one uh, art dealer's museum, talking about um, 
or uh, talking to her about the the new show she wants to do. And uh, basically this woman who had promised her all the, oh, I'll introduce you to this person and that person, all that. She's really just interested in the tragedy surrounding Brianna. She brings up uh, her father and she brings up dealing with Anthony and the murders at the gallery and all that. And it becomes very, you know, uh, very apparent that this woman has no desire to help her. She just mm-hmm. wants to basically get some gossip. It's like, that's fucked up. So we cut to Anthony in the hospital. Uh, while he's there, he sees a report on the news about the murders at the high school. And the police say that there's a link between them and the gallery murders, as the name of Anthony's piece, Say My Name, was written in blood at the scene. The doctor comes in and welcomes him back, saying that he was born there in Cabrini. He looks at her confused and tells her that he was born on the south side. And she goes, well, according to your medical file, you were born here. Um, She then goes on to say, uh, regardless, it's good that you came in when you did. We need to admit you right away for testing and monitoring. While she's talking, the sound kind of fades away. And then we cut to Anthony quickly leaving the hospital. So he clearly did not heed the doctor's warning. So he heads to his mom's place where he asks her about his childhood. I love the fucking makeup here because there's two. Well, there's two things. One, we get a better look at Anthony's uh, face and neck. And this is where we're seeing the honeycomb pattern begin. But Mm -hmm. did you guys notice the scar on his mother's arm? No. She's wearing that sleeveless shirt. In her sh- like on her shoulder, like a bicep area, there's a like a sizable scar from where Helen hit her with the frickin' meat cleaver in the first movie. Oh, I did not notice that. I like I did not notice that the first <coughs> time around, and then I read it. In the I trivia. didn't notice it either. I went back and and looked purposely. I, like when I was rewatching it for the show, I'm like, holy shit! Like the attention to detail, very very nicely done. But. Uh, she reluctantly tells him the story of Helen and what happened to him as a baby. So this is where for anyone who had. I love the fact that she's like, no. Oh, yeah. Where he goes to say Candyman and she goes, mm, yeah, don't say like, that. Mm-mm, no, you don't say that name. But um, <laughs> she uh, she tells him the story of Helen and, and what happened to Anthony as a baby. Now, for anyone at this point in the movie who has not put the pieces together, you know. Anthony was the baby in the original film that was supposed to die in the bonfire with the Candyman and Helen. So Candyman had some plans for Anthony. Um, so she, you know, she reluctantly tells him the story and she tells him how they all vowed to never say his name again, but someone broke the pact. And then Anthony goes and he found me and Anthony gets up to leave and his mother is begging him to stay. But Anthony leaves almost like he's in a trance. We cut Do to we Anthony. know who broke the pact? William. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, William broke the pact. He he started the cycle again. So we we cut to Anthony standing by the abandoned apartments in Cabrini. He sees flashing lights coming from one of them and goes and walks in. Cut to Troy and Brianna <laughs> arriving back at uh, Brianna's apartment to pick up her things. I love it while Troy loudly threatens Anthony, telling him to come out right now and we're yeah. going to get her things. <laughs> he was going off. But some time passes and Brianna has called around looking for Anthony and can't find him anywhere. She sees the pen from Burke's laundromat and decides to go and pay him a visit. Now, this part's creepy because she goes into the back room uh, of the laundromat looking for Burke or Anthony and finds no one. The door locks behind her. She tries to get out, but can't. Now, we see this long shot of like a woman in the laundromat with headphones in 
doing her laundry, we see Brianna in the background pounding on the glass door and then just Help Burke, me! Burke, but yeah, and we can't hear it because we're like, you know, it's the muffled from her headphones. And then we see Burke like swoop up and grab her. It was fucking creepy. But if you look, it looks like he has the Candyman coat on. Yeah, he kind of I th- he he may have because he he's the one that set all this in motion. But we now uh, we cut to a flashback of Burke as a kid wanting to play with his sister. She keeps telling him to go and play with his puppets and locks him out of the bathroom that she's in. We see her and her uh, his sister and her friend in there summoning Candyman. You know, Burke paces back and forth outside. We hear some commotion. He opens the door and finds them slaughtered. Blood everywhere, bees buzzing around. A piece of candy hits the floor. Burke looks up, and in the mirror, we see Sherman smiling at him. Cut to adult Burke. He says, now we have a witness. Brianna wakes up in the old church while Burke is frantically on the phone with the police talking about the Say My Name killer, begging them to come and help. He then hangs up. We see Anthony kind of sitting there in a trance, and Burke calmly explains to Brianna what's happening. He seems totally out of his mind. He says, when something leaves a stain, even if you wash it out, it's still there. You can feel it, a thinning deep in the fabric. This neighborhood got caught in a loop. This shit got stained in the exact same spot over and over until it finally rotted out from the inside. They tore down our homes so they could move back in. We need Candyman, because this time he'll be killing their fathers, their babies, their sisters. So his plan is to bring Candyman back to kill the people that took their homes away, the, the people who gentrified the neighborhood. So he turns, uh, he turns Anthony around so he can see one of his eyes has now gone completely white. His skin is pockmarked and looks like honeycomb. Burke tells her how he knew that it would be only a matter of time before the baby came back, how it's perfect symmetry, a chance for Candyman to take back what's rightfully his, his legend. He takes Anthony's hand and begins cutting it off. Anthony doesn't even resist. Burke pulls out a meat hook and crams it into the bloody stump. This part's freaky because Anthony shakes and a single tear rolls down his face. So it's like he can feel it, but he can't fight back. Mm-hmm. This whole like, scene is awful because of that. Yeah. It's like, and fuck. all you can hear is, mm! yeah, they're like grunting. Mm! And, oh, it's fucking creepy. But Burke tells Brianna the story of Anthony McCoy, the artist who lost his mind. The cops came down and shot him in cold blood without saying a word. Say his name in a mirror five times and see what happens. When it's all done, he'll live on forever. Brianna, meanwhile, is using the pen in her pocket to cut through the duct tape that's, you know, has her uh, held hostage. And um, <clears throat> we hear the sirens in the distance coming and Burke comments, here comes the swarm. He pulls out two suckers with razor blades in them, asking, are you ready for the sacrament? Brianna runs. Burke screams after her, where are you going? Don't you want a sweet? <laughs> we then hear a squelching <laughs> off sound. I was like, oh, he, he bit it. To the sweet. But he he bit that razor blade. It's like, ooh. <laughs> well that's so, his own damn fault well yeah but Brianna runs down in, into the tunnels under the church as Burke comes in singing the Candyman faintly we see him like he, he's coming down there with a flashlight he turns it off then she turns around as he rushes her and the, when he comes rushing out of the darkness it's genuinely frightening <laughs> she fights him off and escapes back outside um, and then goes into one of the abandoned apartments Burke chases after her uh, this is where we get a close-up of his mouth, so we see that, you know, he actually did bite into it. 
And um, he comes in. Brianna has like a pipe or something she's going to go hit him with, but it's too heavy. And he turns and comes at her. She grabs the pen and stabs him in the eye. He falls back and she viciously stabs him over and over again with it. One of the we... best killings ever. It's, it's pretty damn good. But she Anthony... Let, she let him have it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> then we see Anthony at the door. He comments to her, I think he's dead. He comes in, he staggers down and collapses in front of her. We hear the sirens getting louder. The cops arrive and Brianna screams for help. The cop walks in, says, put your hands up. Doesn't even pause for a reaction and opens fire shooting Anthony. So we, we see Brianna staring in horror, covered, just covered in Anthony's blood. Again, this part's all kind of in silence. Well, she thinks that she got shot. At first, yeah, but like, yeah. you know, she yeah. looks, she looks she's down. She's like, she's her hands up and she's just like, oh my fuck God, I did not get shot. And then right. she sees that Anthony got killed. Right. So we see her being walked out of the apartment in cuffs and a cop uh, and bleh, and thrown into a cop car. Um, a detective gets gets in the car with her and tries to dictate the story about how the cops had no choice but to shoot. How Anthony was the killer and, you know, the cop having known all the murders he committed when he rushed him with that hook in his hand, he had no choice but to discharge his weapon. And he goes, that doesn't sound right to you. He goes, well, how about this? Maybe you held the victims down while Anthony carved him up. You're an accomplice and you go to jail for the rest of your life. I was like, what a fucking prick. So she asks to see herself in the mirror, telling the cop that she'll say whatever he wants. He turns the mirror. She looks at herself and summons Candyman, much to the cop's confusion. Suddenly the doors lock and outside we see the cops being murdered one by one by the new Candyman. Then, uh, like, he he's kind of, like, floating and, like, slashing everyone as bees start to swarm around him. Anthony stands next to the cars, or next to the car, bees buzzing, and the cop says, who are you? He says, I am the writing on the walls. I am the sweet smell of blood on the street, the buzz that echoes in the alleyways. They will say I shed innocent blood. You are far from innocent, but they will say you were. That's all that matters. The swarm completely overtakes Anthony's head. We can no longer see his face. The car door is unlocked. Anthony disappears. The cop gets out and runs for it. Brianna gets out of the car. We hear the cop getting killed around the corner. She turns the corner to find Anthony gutting the cop. He floats over to her as the new Candyman. The bees move away from his face. We see that it's Daniel Robitaille, and he tells her, tell everyone. The cops pull up behind Brianna. Title card, credits, the end. Like, it was such a good ending. It was so funny. I was watching the movie today. <clears throat> After he said, tell everyone, mm-hmm. I looked at my cat and said, tell everyone. <laughs> and the cat just stared at me for like 20 seconds. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about, boy? <laughs> I put the treats on the floor and I look at Valkyrie and I'm like, sweets to the sweet. <laughs> but as I mentioned uh, earlier, the end credits we get the shadow puppets all in silence. Uh, just the the, ca- the Candyman music, the theme playing. And we see one by one as different Candyman are created. Well, uh, as you, since you mentioned that, let me just let me give credit to the designers of Drew Deere mm-hmm. and Lizzie Bright. Yeah. Were the ones who created the puppetry and set pieces. It, they did it, fantastic work for this movie. Oh, it's beautifully done. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Drew Deere and Lizzie Bright. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so fucking good. But but like that that ending sequence, man, like because we see uh, we see a young boy being accused of something and turned into he like he's he's killed um, and comes back as a candy man. We see uh, a farmer who gets into an argument over like the price of, of some seeds. He gets killed. His money gets stolen. He becomes a candy man. We see someone get lynched and it's like one by one by one. We see uh, the whole time this is happening. We're seeing Anthony paint the different candy men. And then we see Daniel. And then eventually we see Anthony. And at the end we see the original candy man with the, the exposed rib cage and the bees standing in the center. And one by one other candy men stand up next to him and then we see like a whole hive, like they say, behind him of more and more and more popping up and then just flames. It's so beautifully done. But uh, as far as as trivia goes, there, was, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot. Um, but the production was brought back to Cabrini Green, the, the same neighborhood uh, where the original Candyman was filmed. Um, though the high rise buildings have been or were uh, long since demolished, the row houses that we see like the little <clears throat> apartments and all that, those are all that's left of the original Cabrini. Um, mm-hmm. William Burke is seen reading Weave World, so another one of uh, Clive Barker's stories. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, Nia DaCosta said that during the filming, they actually did encounter a bee infestation. <laughs> so <laughs> in one of the abandoned buildings. <laughs> I was like, so they actually had to, to deal with some bees. Um, and also, th- this is kind of interesting. Uh, because uh, this this opened first at the box office, it made Nia DaCosta the first black female filmmaker to have a movie open at first uh, first place in the box office. Yeah. So, so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is the the first Candyman film to have a black protagonist as well. So it's about fucking time. Because <laughs> it's what fourth movie. But uh, yeah, and yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier. This was originally <coughs> set to be released in 2020 which is the year that Candyman Day of the Dead takes place in, even though it came out in 1999. But yeah, and this uh, this is actually the shortest Candyman film to date. Uh, the first one was an hour and 39 minutes. Second one was an hour and 33. The third was an hour and 42. This one comes in at an hour and 31. <laughs> so the shortest of the three and arguably one of the best. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on this this here awesome film? Nope. If you, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's a really good movie. You won't Fuck. be disappointed. Absolutely. Throw your politics aside. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, for anyone not following us on the social media, we are the Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. Maurice handles our Twitter. And what is that good, sir? At Boogeyman's The... Thank you very much. Uh, we are still doing our giveaways. Check out our social media to find out more about that. Um, at the time of this release, the May giveaway should either be up or will be going up very shortly. Um, we also have a Patreon, as mentioned multiple times. It's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes, as well as one original like exclusive episode per month. Um, and higher tiers get you stuff like art in the mail and you know the ability to pick episodes stuff like that uh we are also part of the rad pantheon network so check out rad pantheon on all the social medias and radpantheon.com where you can find more podcasts like this one as well as a bunch of artists musicians photographers a lot of cool people just rad people making rad stuff 
So our next episode, for those of you interested in watching before we cover it, is going to be episode 142, Fright Night from 2011. So the Fright Night remake. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so as we mentioned multiple times, guys, if you haven't seen this movie, just pause what you're doing and go fucking rent it. Go rent it, go buy it, watch this movie. You won't be disappointed. But as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at the Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. Thank you.